Thanks for joining us for part four of a five-part really, 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 really long sermon. All right, we just chopped it up into segments. And I say that because it's, I think it's so important for you to go back if, if you've not been able to see them all and catch up online or website. And it's just a, an awesome opportunity for everybody to get on the same page. So if you hear some things in the next few moments today, whether you're at one of our locations or joining us online, and you're like, ah, I think I must have missed something somewhere, you, you probably did, and, and go back and catch it up. But if you, you know... If you've been to all of them and you're still missing something, that's on me. Sorry. Um, anyhow, we are excited to kind of get to this part four because what we're getting ready to experience today is a transition, a transition in the story. Because basically what we've learned is that the plot of the whole Bible, the theme of the whole Bible could be summarized in the understanding of three agreements that God made, or covenants is the word in, in the scriptures that is used. The first covenant between God and one man named Abraham, and we talked about him, and that's an eternal covenant, a covenant where God says, I'm going to bless you, Abraham, and all of your children and all children and all of your descendants and are going to be so great, the entire world is going to be blessed through your family line. The eternal covenant that is still in effect Today And then last week we talked specifically about the second covenant that God made between himself and Israel, one nation. This was a specific covenant that was temporary. It was specific to a nation. It had a purpose. It had a time limit. And, and so now it's, it's past. It's a temporary. In fact, it's so temporary that it's often referred to as we will see um, a little bit later on, as old. It's called the Old Covenant. Not because it's the first covenant, it's actually the second covenant, but it's called the Old Covenant. It's called old because of what we're going to begin to talk about today. The third covenant between God and the world is called the New Covenant. And so today we're going to begin to talk about the transition from the Old Mosaic Covenant that second one right there, to the new covenant, what Jesus was going to introduce that was brand spanking new, the world had never seen, the world was dying for, and Jesus brought it. And so we're going to introduce it today, kind of in that transition moment, to see what Jesus did and what took place there. And then next week, part five of our series, we're going to unpack what the new covenant means for me and you today as followers of Jesus. But there's just so much in the Bible to know. There's so much to understand. I mean, it's a lot. And it's a thick book, too, right? I mean, thick. And if you're like me, when your eyesight's going, you get a larger print, which makes it thicker, right? <laughs> which, you know, if you were to carry it around, it's more impressive. Like, when I take out my Bible, it's... <laughs> That's right. Right. Now, if you got great eyesight, you can get the small ones, you know, the thin ones. But it, and there's no pictures in it, you know, a lot, lots of words, and they're all jammed together, and there's not much illustrations, unless you get one of the children's Bibles, which is great, which probably would be good for all of us to start with, um, or maybe go back to. But there's a lot in there. I, I'm, I'm so excited about what I'm getting ready to say. I, I, I hope you get this. I, I really, really hope you get this. You need to know this. That of all the things to know in the Bible and all the things to understand in the Bible, the most important thing, what's most important, just happens to be what is most clear. 
and that is Jesus. And what the scriptures say about Jesus, what the Bible says about Jesus. You see, not everything in the Bible is of equal importance. Now, if you don't think about that, you're going to think, I just said something awful, right? No, actually, there's this second covenant that we talked about last week that is really not all that important for our day-to-day life today. Now, it's good that we understand it. It's the backstory. It's a beautiful, important backstory. But the rules, the laws, and the commands that were given to Israel are not nearly important for you to understand fully and understand all of that than it is for you to understand what the Scriptures say about Jesus. Now, even though all of that points to Jesus, we'll talk about it. What's most important just happens to be what's most clear. Now, isn't that great news? What if what was most important was most obscure? What if what was most important was most hidden and you had to dig for it and you had to figure it out and it was like code and, and you know, put all the pieces of the puzzle together? No, 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 no. What is most important just happens to be what is most clear, Jesus. In fact, the first covenant is about Jesus that God made with Abraham. You know why? Because Jesus was from Abraham's descendant line, his family line, and it is through Jesus, ultimately, that the whole earth is blessed. And the second covenant that we talked about last week is really, ultimately, about Jesus. Why? Because all of the laws, all of the rules, all of the commands, what did that do? That basically worked us up into a spiritual frenzy to where we understood We can't do this. Israel stood in the place of all humanity and gave us the example of we can't do this on our own. The 613 commands, there's no way we can do it all. We need a Savior to help us connect with God. It it just pointed to Jesus. What's most important just happens to be what's most clear. And everything pointed to him. We need to understand that. And Israel was at a place, and we left off last week, where everything inside of them was longing for help and longing for hope and longing for God to send the promised Messiah who ultimately was Jesus. Let me illustrate it a different way. You guys um, are familiar with butt dials, right? Yeah, absolutely. Isn't it interesting that, you know, rewind, you know, 10 years, at least 12 to 15 years ago, that was not even in our language, right? You say butt dial, and somebody was like, what? What is that? Now, see, we all know, and if you don't know, you are probably guilty of it all the time, (laughs) right? Is when you, you know, you've sat on your phone, or it's in your pocket, and it's really only a phenomenon once phones were small enough to go in your pocket. You accidentally dial someone, or we don't dial anymore. Dial is such a, you, you call someone, you're like, the word dial means nothing unless you've ever had to dial. <laughs> you always love the numbers with the short, the, the phone numbers when there's one or two or three, and if there were lots of nines and zeros, it just took all day. It just did. Anyway, um, you accidentally call somebody. Now, isn't it embarrassing when you're talking about them, and you realize, <gasps> what did they hear, what did they hear? Or, or, you know, they, you're in this conversation. So let me give you a picture real quick of, I mean, because it creates paranoia. It just does. It kind of makes you paranoid after a while. That happens to you a couple times. You constantly find yourself checking your phone. A, a common scene in our family is um, on the highway, on the street, 
on the road, in the neighborhood, wherever. We're riding down the road. I'm driving. Donna's in the car with me. And we're talking about one of you. Yeah. And, and just about the time I get to the, you know, the, can you believe, and you know, or whatever, and whoever I'm talking about or whatever, Donna will go, hey, hey, whoa, whoa, check your phone. I'm like, what do you mean? Check my phone. Check your phone. Check your phone. Like, cause see, Donna's got such a big heart, soft heart. She doesn't want to offend anybody. She wants to make sure everybody feels loved and encouraged and all that. It's her gift. It's great. And it's it's a gift that I have to work on. And and so she's like, check your phone, check your phone, check your phone. So I'm just like, man, you're just really paranoid. And, and no, she's not paranoid. She just cares about other people. And so you, you ever had that moment? Right? You're like, oh my gosh, it just kind of makes you paranoid. Well, I say all of that to help you understand that's exactly what it would have been like to live in the reality of ancient Israel under the second covenant, the law of Moses, is that it created a sense of spiritual paranoia where you were constantly having to check, constantly having to check. Have I done enough? Have I done enough? Have I offered enough sacrifices? Am I good with God? How about now? Offer more sacrifices. How about now? Offer more sacrifices. How about now? Am I good with God? Where do I stand with God? Where do I stand with God? It created this unending spiritual paranoia where you were constantly asking questions. Where do I stand? And am I good enough? Am I good enough? Have I done enough? Am I good enough? Have I done enough? And the answers to those questions were always no. Not by yourself. Not in and of yourself. Which brings us to our aching need for Jesus. A savior. Now, this is the point in the biblical history narrative. This is the point in the story where things at the end of Israel's exhausting cycle of trying to get it right, that God is bringing the story to a climactic moment. The life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is the crescendo of history. It is, it is what everything pointed to that and everything kind of points back to that. This is where the narrative of Scripture, the story of the Bible, begins to change and shift. And from Jesus on, it was never, ever, ever the same. Let me, let me show you how the writer in Hebrews describes what Jesus did. Jesus is talking here, and he's talking to his Father, God. Look, I have come to do your will, O God as it is written about me in the scriptures. Now, what he's talking about in the scriptures, he's saying all of the Old Testament, all of that second covenant, all of that Mosaic law and covenant stuff, it all pointed to me. It was all really ultimately leading people to me. It was all ultimately about me. And that's what he's pointing back to. And then he clarifies. He gets really clear. So he, Jesus, cancels the first covenant now, by first, in this context, he's referring to the law of Moses, which is the second covenant that we talked about. But in this context, he's talking about the law of Moses being the first and the new covenant being the second. So Jesus canceled what we talked about last week. All the laws and the sacrifices and the command, he canceled that way of relating to God in order to put the second covenant, the new covenant, what we're going to just touch on today and really unpack next week into effect. Then he goes into more detail. Look at this. He said, I came to do your will, God. What will? God's will. What's for us, me and you too, us, 
to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ. Talking about when Jesus gave his life on a cross for the sin of the world. But look at this. God's will was for that to happen once for all time. That Jesus were to offer himself as a sacrifice for sin, one sacrifice for all time. And the word all means all. All time, all people, all scenario, past, present, and future. All means all, and that's all it means, but it means everything, everyone. That's what it's all about, once for all time. And then he unpacks it, look at this. Under the old covenant, what we talked about last week, the laws and the sacrifices and the commands that Israel went through, the priest and ministers, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day, day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again, again and again. But look at this, which can never take away sins. Never. Doesn't fix the problem. Just continues to happen. Why? People keep sinning. People keep sinning over and over and over again, and it's never enough. But our high priest, talking about Jesus, offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins. Here it is again. Good for all time. All time. All people. All scenarios. All situation. Past, present, and future. And this next part. Every time I read this next part, it just gives me chills. And I know you thought, well, you're a pastor. I, I get it, I get it. But if you, if you really could get your mind around what this means for you and me, your reaction might be similar. And when sins have been forgiven, there is no need to offer any more sacrifices. And when sins have been dealt with and taken care of and forgiven once and for all, no more need for the sacrifices to be offered again and again and again. Why? Because Jesus fixed it. Jesus finished it. Finished it. Which means, and this is a big statement, and I wish I had time to unpack it, and we'll probably do a whole series on this in the next year or so on this, this idea right here. Which means sin is no longer the, the problem. Jesus took care of the problem. Sin is no longer the problem. The problem is whether or not people will receive what Jesus has done to address sin. See, we, we think it's all about sin management, right? Trying to sin a little bit less, sin a bit, little bit less, do a little better, do a little better. It's just such a short-sighted way to look at it. It's bigger than that. It's better than that. So basically what we have here, in every way, Jesus ended the second covenant for a much better way, a new way, which next week we're going to completely unpack for you and I to understand this new covenant that Jesus brought. But this answers the question. This answers the question of why don't we offer sacrifices now? And by the way, aren't you glad we don't? Can you imagine how messy, how smelly, how gross, how frustrating? Did you bring the lamb? I forgot. Go back home and get the lamb. All right? And we laugh and all that, but it was a pain. It was frustrating. It was laborsome. It was a burden. 
And under the old system, it was the only way to address what was happening in our lives when it comes to sin. But Jesus came and put an end to that because he offered himself once for all as the one and final sacrifice for sin. All time, all situation, all people, past, present, and future. This is why when Jesus said, it is finished, and he died, he meant it is finished. What's finished? All the sacrificing is finished. And that means so much more than we can fathom. In fact, this is also why you will see references to Jesus in the scriptures as the perfect lamb of God. That's what all that means. That Jesus was the perfect once final offering for sin. The lamb of God. In fact, when Jesus was introduced by his cousin John the Baptist for his ministry, he was introduced that way. Look, there's the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And people had no idea what he was talking about then. But I bet you there were people standing in the crowd on the day Jesus was crucified that thinks back three years earlier when they heard John the Baptist say, Behold, oh, the the Lamb of God. I get it, I get it, I get it, I see it. And then three days later, as we will celebrate in a couple of weeks, he rose from the dead and sealed the whole deal. And and, and that's why we don't have to offer sacrifices anymore. Because Jesus took care of the sin problem. So, does this mean we don't struggle anymore with sin? No, I still struggle, you still struggle. But Jesus' answer now is, in your struggle with sin, as you struggle with sin now, you don't need to offer a sacrifice. What you need to do is look to me, Jesus said. Just look to me. In your struggle with sin, look to me because I took care of that. All you need is me. You don't need another sacrifice. All you need is me. You let me help you. You let me heal you. You let me bring wholeness to your heart. You just come to me. That's why we don't have to offer sacrifices anymore. Jesus was the once for all and final sacrifice. And and I know if I'm sitting there where you're sitting and and you're hearing some of this, maybe for the first time and and others of you, you've heard this before, but maybe not in this way. I know a logical question is, is this. Okay, logically, how can one man die for the sin of the whole world? How can one man, how is that possible? I mean, for his own sin, yeah, but see, Jesus didn't have any sin. He was perfect. Okay, but okay, for my sin, maybe, I get it, okay, I can, I can understand that, but for the sin of the whole world, I mean, how's that even possible? And, and why would he do that? Because we grew up with the thinking, we were all raised with the thinking, it's kind of our culture thinking, you do the crime, you do the time. When you do the crime, you do the time. No one can do the time for you. In our world, in our culture, you do the crime, you do the time. In fact, that's what the second covenant that we talked about, the law of Moses was really all about Israel doing the time and it not getting done. All humanity trying to do the time and you're constantly wondering, is it good enough? How much? How long? To what degree? Until Jesus came and said, enough. And when Jesus gave himself as a sacrifice, once for all time, his sacrifice did the time for me, did the time for you, did the time for ancient Israel, and did the time for all people for all time, past, present, and future. The sacrifice of Jesus did the time for us. That is why what Jesus has done and what Jesus offers you, listen carefully, that is why the scriptures 
especially the New Testament, refers to what Jesus did as a gift to you and me. Because it's already been paid for. It's already been provided. And it's now offered to us. I can't earn it because it's a gift. I can't qualify for it because it's a gift. It's not about how good I am, at least better than you, because it's really a gift. And it's a gift that either ultimately I receive or I reject. But it's a gift. Because Jesus did that once for all time. Okay, and here's why I know you and I can get this. Here's why I know we can get this. We can get this because we actually have a context for this in our culture. We do. And it's usually around sports. It's bigger than that. But we do have a context for when somebody does something and it represents a whole lot of other people and they attach their identity and themselves to what one person did. Let me take you back a few years. The Olympics. It's actually coming up in a couple of years, I think. I'm doing the math in my head, and I think 2020, um, if I'm seeing clearly there, get it? Um, 2020, if I'm seeing clearly into the future, you'll get it in a minute. (laughs) I think it's the next Summer Olympics, I think. If not, then I missed it last year, badly. It's it's on even years, every four years. Anyway, remember Michael Phelps a few years back? Michael Phelps... Incredible swimmer. Oh, my goodness. Do you remember the hype around that? Do you remember? Do you remember how excited? And, and, and even when the Olympics were like, well, on the other side of the world, people are staying up late, you know, and they're getting up early in the morning. They're watching the sky swim, you know, gold after gold after gold after gold. And do you remember how excited people got? And do you remember what they said and what you hear? We won the gold! We, we won the gold. Can you imagine? We won the gold. We go, wait a second. We? You didn't win squat. Michael Phelps won the gold. You can't even swim. <laughs> and we do that in team sports all the time. Like when our team wins, we won, we won, man. We're going to have to bring it tonight, man. We just didn't. Wait, we? What's this we stuff? Because we have a context in our culture, and in our vocabulary, that we accept already that one person or one group of people, but specifically one person can do something that represents all of us and is tied to all of us, and we tie ourselves to. It's true also in government, but that gets a little icky-sticky, you know. Like when one person goes and meets on behalf of the, we elected them, good, bad, or indifferent. We chose them. Our system is imperfect, but we choose them, and they go, and, and they represent a country, or they represent a state, or they represent a county. We have a context for this. It's just much, much bigger when you talk about Jesus being the once for all of us, sacrifice. How can one man do this for us? He did. He did. Let me, let me come at it from a different angle. Jesus is the once for all sacrifice for sin. Mine, yours, everybody. Who wouldn't want that to be true? Think about it. 
Who, who, honestly, in their right mind, wouldn't want that to be true? Even if they're stiff-arming it right now, even if they're needing to warm up to it a little bit, even if they're outright rejecting it right now, or at least skeptical in some shape or form, who wouldn't want that to be true? Maybe someone that just wants the credit for themselves, wants to be able to say, hey, I pulled myself up by my own bootstraps, turned over a new leaf, and, well, I mean, you got bigger issues if, if that's you. I mean, if you reject what Jesus did because you want to be your own Jesus, <laughs> good luck with that. And, and maybe, maybe you would have a problem with it if you'd convinced yourself you'd, You'd never done anything wrong. You didn't have any sin. Really good luck with that. Who wouldn't want this to be true? I mean, maybe that's you, but for the rest of us, for the rest of us, our hope hangs on the truth of Jesus' sacrifice once for all time, for all people. Ultimately, though, this is, now listen very carefully, ultimately, this is one of those things that you're simply going to have to make a decision to receive as true for you or not. It's a gift. You're either going to need to receive this gift that God provides through his son, Jesus Christ, or you will have to stiff arm that gift, choose to reject that gift, and roll the dice and figure out a way on your own. Good luck with that. But either way, ultimately... That's what we're talking about. And, and I know, I know, I get it. I guess it's, it, it sounds crazy to think that one man could do this for me and you and, and everybody. I understand that's a challenging thought. Hard to explain. But you know why it's challenging and it's hard to explain? Because we're talking as human beings how to understand and describe a divine reality, a supernatural exchange which is Jesus' one sacrifice for all sin, all time, all people. In fact, the writer Paul, to a group of Christians in the city of Corinth, he kind of talks about this. He says, I understand, I understand that people are going to look at this differently and, and Jesus is going to hit people differently and what Jesus did for the world is not necessarily going to be received very well by everybody. In fact, he says it like this, for the message of the cross is foolishness to people who are perishing, to people who are stiff-arming it, to people who are rejecting it, to people who say, listen, I'll do my own thing my own way. It does sound foolish, but to those who are being saved, in other words, to those who trust it, to those who believe it, it is the power of God. It all comes back to what you decide to do with it. And to be quite honest, that's the most important thing. Let's come back to it again. The most important thing is most clear. Jesus. Listen, I got questions. I got questions. I've been, I've been doing this pastor thing for 25 years, and I still got questions. I'm still growing as a follower of Jesus. I'm still trying to figure some things out. I still don't quite understand everything that happened here in the Bible or there when it's describing that in the Bible. And I don't understand everything about everything, no. But 
I can tell you this, the more and more I learn and the more and more I understand, the more this becomes so true. What's most important just happens to be what is most clear. You got questions? I'm sure you do. And maybe you're the, yeah, but I don't know. What about that? And, and what about that? And I don't understand why God would this. And I don't understand why God would that. And I don't understand why God in my life doesn't. And I don't understand why this happened. I get it. I'm right there with you. I got all those kind of, same kind of questions. But wait, 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 I'm, I'm going to just tell you. I know that's important. I know all that stuff and all those scenarios in life are important. But I can promise you they're not most important. Because they're all temporary. What's most important, what's most important is something we can know. What's most important is someone we can know. What's most important just happens to be what comes to us with crystal clarity in the story that God is telling. And that it's all about Jesus. It's a lens that once you begin to look through that lens, so much comes to life. Like, when I look at passages like this, the famous John 3, 16, that people that don't even believe in Jesus, they've heard of this. When I look through this lens now and I hear the words, for God so loved the world that he gave, look at this. This sounds familiar? His one and only son. We've seen that before. You go back two weeks in the first covenant. Wow, you see that foreshadowing? His one and only son, one and only son, one and only son. So that whoever, you see, Jesus was the once for all sacrifice so that whoever wanted to take it could could take it, could have it. He did it for all so that whoever, what about them? Yeah, whoever, what about her? You see what she did? Yeah, whoever. But you don't know him. Oh, no, no, him too. Whoever. You said, well, you don't understand what I've been. Yeah, you too. Whoever believes. Not just stuff about God, but the word believes there is the word faith, trust, depend on, rely on. The word believe is, I believe you did it, and I believe you did it for me, and I need it, and I want it. So please Apply it to my life. And I'm going to live in the reality of it. Belief shall not perish, but have eternal life. That means life begins, really, life really begins when you get to that point in your life and it don't end from that point on. Spiritually or physically. You live forever. What's most important is most clear. So my question to you is, are you ready to receive it? Are you ready to take it, the free gift? Are you ready? Are you at a point in your life where you're like, listen, I know you're right. I do have questions. And I'm sure your questions are great questions. But are you ready to internalize what Jesus did for you what he did for the whole world. Maybe some of you Christians are going, yeah, 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 man, I know that. Man, it's so good, but don't lose the awe. Don't lose the wonder. Don't lose the amazement of what we're talking about here. 
Because we all live in need of a Savior every day. I don't care how long you've been following Jesus. But for others of you, for the first time the light's coming on. Maybe you've gone to church your whole life and for the first time you're just now really understanding what Jesus did and what it means. So that you can just now put your full trust in him as Savior and forgiver. I invite you to do it. Are you ready? I hope so. I hope so. The band is getting ready to come out and lead us in a song that proclaims this truth. The reality of God's amazing, life-altering, life-changing love for us. And as we sing this song together in just a few moments, I want you to think about this. I want you to think about what we're talking about. And perhaps today is the day when you receive this amazing gift of Jesus' once-for-all sacrifice. Let me pray for you. Dear Father, thank you for making what is most important so very clear. So clear there's no way it could be missed. There's no way it could be missed by anyone who wants to know it, who wants to see it, who wants to receive it. And there are many Christians here that have lost the awe and the inspiration of what you've done for them and helped them to capture it again. And there are so many people that are watching online and people even in this room and other, other locations that for the first time, the light's coming on. Like, yes, I get it now. Yes, I get it now. God, may you bring them in the next few moments, if not already, to a point where they just, in their own words, in their own way, they say, I receive it. I receive it. I'll take it. It's a free gift. Jesus did it for me. I believe it. God loved me that much. I'll take it. And I want to live my life discovering what that means. Father, we love that you loved us. And we worship you because of your love. In Jesus' name, amen.